Welcome to the WebWell podcast brought to you by Cascade Web Development. I'm one of your hosts, Simon, along with Ben, and we can't wait to dive into all things internet, tech, web development, and web design. We'll also be discussing how we balance work and life and exploring the fascinating world of internet innovation. So whether you're a tech enthusiast or just looking for some entertainment, join us on this exciting journey as we explore the ever-changing landscape of the web. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the WebWell podcast, episode number eight. We're very excited to include Zach Heider from Hubble Communications uh, in today's podcast. Of course, I am uh, I am uh, here with Simon uh, Simon Hart, who we co-host this uh, podcast a couple times a month. And today's topic is a pretty fun one. Uh, the idea is no more free pitches and uh and rfps so uh really excited to unpack this conversation with zach uh, i know he's got a ton of experience in this realm and uh welcome zach Heider. great great to be here gentlemen thank you for the invite to talk about this and i i will say ben just to amend the title there it's maybe not <laughs> no more free pitches it's just very selectively deciding when you're going to sort of give up your time for free. But this this is a topic I love. This is something I've worked on my entire career, and it's become a little bit of a, a, a passion topic for me because uh, it's, it's difficult for agencies to figure out how to do this. Yeah. No, and I think it'll be wonderful not only for agencies to consider how, how they can and perhaps should show up to protect all of us, right, and, and the value that we do present, but also helpful for, for clients because, you know, they're oftentimes raised in cultures and, and see things on, you know, Mad Men and other types of, of uh, shows and documentaries where it's kind of a common practice and, and they might even be getting that from, from their leadership. So nuanced and, and it's always fun to chop it up and, and get your perspective on this as I continue to try and refine how we go about this, this subject as, as a general yeah. um, focus did point. You, did you like that tag on LinkedIn, Ben? That was very timely, I thought. The it Mad really ben. was. Yes. Yeah, Zach sent me a, a um, Don. Yeah, no, it's not happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he sent me a link to a, a Mad Men um, clip where Don Draper was was getting pressed by a apparently very successful authoritative individual, and and I think Don mentioned, well, uh, I don't think you got in the executive suite here by giving work giving stuff away for free, and then uh, very gracefully um, provided some input and uh, and hopefully teed it up for some some future work together. Um, well, I'd we'll love to, to start off with a quick we'll that link. Too. Go ahead. We'll have to share that link. Yeah, you often do. Yeah, we'll share that in the show notes for sure. But just a brief history of, you know, looking at, at my relationship with Zach, which I think goes back now, pushing 10 years. And, and my first awareness of Zach was when he was in Leadership Portland. Uh, I had gone through Leadership Portland a couple of years ahead of Zach. Oh, and then... Funny. And I can't remember when you did. I did it in 2008. Do you recall when you did that? I was the class of, I think, 2011. Sounds about right. And that's right. How did we meet? Because I remember you and I talked on the phone, but I can't remember what it was about. Well, I was the Leadership Portland Alumni Association director, which got me a courtesy spot on the Portland Business Journal board of directors. And so I remain quite close to leadership Portland groups that went through. And it should come as no surprise, Zach kind of bubbled up 
in uh, in the hierarchy of uh, Leadership Portland class of 2011. So I think I found myself interacting with you on that. You were doing some speaking or different yeah. things, and uh, and certainly at graduation, you may have been the the uh, graduate speaker at at graduation, perhaps. My class speaker. I don't know how that happened, but that's right. That's yeah. And then you guys, you were forming like a work group or something. And I think you interviewed me and God, mm. that is, that is a long time ago. Yeah. It takes it, takes it back a little bit there. So that was pretty fun. I think we had a, a chance to work together, at least interact a bit when you were, when you were serving as creative director and vice president at Quinn Thomas. I believe the way the story goes is uh, they used to be a client of ours. And then Zach came in and said, there's a better way. We're just going to throw this thing on WordPress. <laughs> So, so there's that, but hey, you know, no it's the, you know, partnerships. Talk to me, Ben, when you tell these stories. <laughs> Nothing but love, Zach. Nothing but love. Uh, he then went on uh, to to found the Dendro Group after um, moving away from Quinn Thomas, and and this is um, as LinkedIn promotes here, providing business development, brand positioning, and new client pitch counsel to executive leadership in communications, advertising, public relations, and digital marketing agency space. Uh, turns out I was the first um, Dendrocast interview that uh, that Zach had, so we yeah, we uh, walked down that path together, and uh, it was on culture. Uh, I really enjoyed that that conversation with you, and and I would highly recommend anyone go back into the the Dendrocast archives. Some really good content there with some some excellent uh, uh, agency folks that uh, from, really from around the country that Zach's interacted with over the years and, and touching on some timely topics as well as some, some evergreen content for, for everyone to enjoy. I'll keep going. As part of that, Zach launched, as, as I mentioned, the, the Dendrocast. I was on that, uh, met a great group of folks uh, associated with that. And I remember I actually went out to a, a Dendrocast gathering, I believe after the first year and drove out there with, uh, with Ward Hubble. And had some great conversations with Ward about his agency and business and how he was looking at succession. And then it wasn't very long after that. And I was notified, hey, Zach's going to be uh, coming on board and helping with the leadership transition at, at uh, Hubble Communications, which was really exciting to hear in terms of seeing how they were going to go down that path together. And and lo and behold, it was right in the heart of the, uh, I believe, the kind of the nadir of the, the pandemic. Uh, and so the work remote, the, Hey, who's the new guy? What about other plans that were laid, et cetera. So really fun to observe that. And, um, you know, both from, from Zach's perspective and, and wards and, and see the organization evolve over the last several years. Let's see. And then, uh, one thing that I found interesting is Hubble continues to create some really compelling content around community issues is called the better communities podcast and uh, really enjoyed the format that they've used, uh, seeing how that's evolved and you know, kind of grown from Dendrocast and now been this pretty important part, I feel, to the, the, the content and the way that Hubble is showing up in the, in the marketplace. So those are some of the details that I'm aware of. But Zach, if you want to take us back a little further, I, I believe you're not a, a Portland native. I see you're a Red Sox fan. Maybe you could just kind of get, fill in some gaps there in terms of uh, how you found yourself in the agency space and in Portland, Oregon. Wow. Well, that's a very generous introduction setup. I don't know that I can add too much more. That was very well done. I wish every introduction was as gracious as that. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I am, so I, I am technically a, a Portland native. I was, I'm actually an Oklahoma native, but I don't tell very many people that. So your listeners now get to, to know that fun fact about me. 
No, but I grew up here in the Portland metro area. I've been here since I was, you know, five or so years old. Uh, did go to college in the Boston area. So, yes, I am a Red Sox fan. Thank you for letting me wear this. This is uh, technically a vacation day, so I, I didn't I didn't prep myself nearly as much as I should. Yeah, I, I am. I'm an agency creature. I've you know, I spent a brief uh, stint in TV news, which was a disaster, and I'm glad I got out of it. And, you know, immediately worked in the agency world and have been there ever since. And here's the thing. It is the most wonderfully horrible business. And what I mean is it's it's so fun. You get to be creative. It moves fast. You have a lot of diversity. And yet it is incredibly competitive. Clients can be very difficult. You know, Ben, you and I were just talking over beers about the the chat GPT AI joke that don't worry in the agency world, we're safe because clients still have to tell you exactly what they want. The joke being they never seem to know what they want. And it's a, it's a hard business. There's a, there's a lot of agencies, not just in the Portland Metro area. There's a lot of agencies that I think Gina Maffei, our vice president at Hubble always says that at the end of the day, every agency is the same. She's not wrong. The services most agencies provide are, are pretty standard. What, what, it's the differentiation of really what makes you special. Is it an approach? Is it a mindset? Is it a philosophy? How you position yourself is what really sets you apart. And most agencies just don't do that very well, right? They sort of are generalists. They, they exist to sort of you know service clients, make clients happy. And I've spent a lot of my career really just trying to sort of understand more, like what makes a great agency great? What makes an agency grow? What makes agencies die? You mentioned my my consultancy that work with agencies on just business, their business problems. So not client problems, but just their their business problems. And, you know, in the almost five years I was doing that, watched a couple agencies go away. It happens. Very successful ones. These were, you know, 30, 40 million dollar firms that were very big in their space who no longer exist. Right. So I'm I'm fascinated by the agency business because it is such a fun, crazy uh, thing to do for a living. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're excited to have you here. This is going to be a fun topic. Uh, So, again, kind of kicking things off. uh, Why agencies should agencies should stop pitching for free and doing RFPs. And again, slightly adjusted how to narrow our focus when it comes to those types of constructs so that we're setting ourselves and our clients up for a successful engagement. Does that sound about right, Zach? Yeah, it's a great great topic. Indeed. Um, So as I mentioned previously, got a, a great little clip of Don Draper, you know, very capably and uh, effectively shooting down a request for free work, but setting entree for opportunities to have a meaningful conversation that could turn into a paid engagement. I think that is, you know, having that in your back pocket, or at least uh, a perspective on that should a client make that request. It's really smart for all of us. Uh, But by way of story, Zach, have you ever had any experiences that you could share with us here in the audience? where you found yourself in a situation where someone was asking for free work and and how you might have addressed that? Oh, yeah. I I mean, sometimes I think to myself, you know, I've been at a few agencies in my career and I think to myself, you know, how much if every single one of those, you know, situations where you're asked to do something for free or I mean, I think one of the mistakes a lot of agencies make, Ben, is 
we offer to do free work because we think we're going to ingratiate ourselves or we think that that is the only way to win business. But I go back in my career and I think, wow, I mean, I, I mean, millions of dollars in free work I have done in my career with, with teams that I've, I've worked with. And I think it's, I think again, it is, you know, clients don't know that they, what they can or cannot ask for, but agencies are also very willing to give them things that they should not give when they should not be asked for. And I think that this is as much a client problem as it is an agency problem. And we have trained ourselves, I think, as an industry, we, the agency business, have trained ourselves to think that that is the only way to, to win new clients or keep existing clients is to always be giving more than we should. And I don't think there's almost any other business in the world. It's, it's one of the reasons why that Don Draper quote is so poignant is I think it's, it's Conrad Hilton that he's talking to, right? Am I remembering? Connie, think, that's right. Right. I mean, do hotels just give away free rooms? Probably not. Again, I'm not in the hotel business, but the point is not many industries will do that because, because so much of what we are selling in our business is our time and our brain. It can be tempting and easy to say, okay, well, I'll give you my time. I'll give you my ideas. But that is really our two most valuable assets are our time and our ideas. Yeah. Why would we give away those things for nothing? Right. Right. So it's it's difficult to sometimes know when to say no, how to say no, or to sort of do what Mr. Draper did so effectively redirect the conversation towards something that is of value to both. Yeah. And it's very difficult for agencies to know how to do that. And I've been in many rooms, Ben, where I've heard people say, well, you know, Clients always right. And I hate that. I hate that expression. No. Sometimes I don't think the client knows what else to ask for. It's just that's how we've always done it. You know, put together an RFP, doesn't tell them a whole lot. There's not a lot of information in it. Let's make them guess. Let's not tell them what the budget is and see if they come in lower. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, right. Um, but let's let's see if they give us some free ideas and you know, I just think what's a terrible way to grow your business. It just is I not agree. a great, it's very time intensive. So. Yeah. I, you know, one thing I found in, in our business is oftentimes we're responding to people coming up and saying, Hey, we have a need. Can you help? And then we're trying to identify, is there a good fit? If there is, let's keep going. If not, perhaps not. Um, but oftentimes we're saying, you tell us what your business is all about and we'll tell you how we can help either optimize that, but certainly automate that with online tools. Uh, I do recall a period though, where one of my previous colleagues here at Cascade had this idea of a, a video contest website, this notion of going to a brand and saying, hey brand, we, uh, we've got this vision, we could create this video contest website. Uh, you then can via social media and email newsletters solicit videos back and the winner receives a thousand bucks worth of you know apparel and you know uh, exposure on your website, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe there's you have a, uh, actually there was going to be a video presentation at the end of all of the the submissions, and they're going to make this whole brand you know effort around that. Uh, well, this this local very notable uh, apparel company said, hmm, no, no thanks, we'll pass. Literally a month later, that exact vision and the mock-up framework that we delivered to them as this idea was launched 
and they were off and running. They yeah. just used their existing agency. And, and it was yeah. a, a brutal lesson to learn. And, and I, again, we're not in that zone really where, you know, a company is coming and saying, or an organization and saying, we need a, a fresh brand perspective, a campaign, hit us with your best idea. And we're like finding that little nugget that in that nugget, that kernel rolls out all of these brilliant ideas and executions. But I know a lot of folks in the creative space are in that realm. And as I recall, when I first started this business, I remember talking to some agencies and they say, hey, the way we approach pitching is we try and get a, a wrap arms around what the budget is, and then we'll dedicate up to 20% of that budget toward the pitch and the, the creative and the ideas and the brainstorming in hopes of winning the business. And we'll put in a little footnote that says all these ideas are the property of the, our agency unless you know we, uh, we get this work, then it really plays out. And so that was shocking. 20%. Yeah. You think about a project that's $100,000, $200,000, $300,000 budget, and people are just blowing all their time resources. I just look at that and go, man, losing in that way would have been devastating to me. So what might be helpful for us here, um, Zach, in your mind, how do you define pitching? Like, where does that start and end? Because obviously, you've got to get them a, a proposal or at least an outline of process and 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 you know, timeline, scope, and budget. But how do you define pitching, and, and where does that line get drawn in your mind? That's a, I mean, that's a great question, Ben. Because for me, pitching has evolved. I mean, just to you know, share a little bit of the my experience, how I learned how to pitch. And by the way, I will say, I am a person who loves pitching. Ask anybody at Hubble. Ask you know my colleagues I've worked with at other agencies. I'm the guy that loves going in a room and talking to new people about new problems and, and new things. Love it. It's one of my favorite things to do. However, I have learned that there are ways you, you should not do it. And there are ways to do it that can be far more effective at helping you, you know, win business, land new clients. I used to be in the agency world where it was all about the, the, the gimme. Right. It was, well, what are you, and I, I have actually been in pitches where I've, I've heard the judges say, okay, well, this is the part where they're going to, they're going to tell us all the stuff they're going to do for free, or this is the part where they're going to wow us with their new ideas. And I used to pitch like that. I used to think that was the expectation because that was the environment that I was in. I did a pitch for a big piece of business, big campaign down in Texas. Oh man, this is probably almost, you know, a decade ago. And I am not kidding. After the presentation, we had orchestrated the side doors in the room where we were on to open. And we brought the client out into the parking lot and showed them a wrapped vehicle that was very, that was mocked up to look like what we were going to do with them for this, you know, road tour we were going to do. We did it all on spec. I mean, that, that cost, that pitch probably cost us $50,000. Brutal. We, now we got the business, but you know what's terrible? We actually, this was an incumbent pitch. We already had the business. And it's one of those things where I think sometimes that happens to agencies. It's like, well, we won the business, so it must have worked. And it's like, but we don't know cause and effect there. Did we win the business because we spent 50K and wrapped hmm. a bust with their logo and all their, you know, all of our stuff? Did we win it for the new idea? So one of the things I started doing when I was consulting, not, not just when I was consulting, but I started doing as when I was in the agency environment is really always making sure I went back to the client when we, 
certainly when we lost, but certainly when we won to say, okay, tell me exactly why you hired us. Because if you lose, that information is really valuable. Like, oh, we just, and I, one of the things that drives me nuts is when I had a pitch that I, I lost with an agency a while back and, um, and they were like, oh, you guys were great. And I'm like, but you're not telling me why we lost. Yeah, you guys were really great. <laughs> There's mm. got to be a reason you chose somebody else. It's okay. That's one of the things we have to tell clients is like, it's okay to tell us why you didn't hire us. We're, we're adults. Right. But getting right. that feedback on, ah, you know, the chemistry was off or, you know, sometimes it's, we just didn't have a good feeling about your understanding of this particular problem, or it's a service category that you didn't offer. That's super good feedback. But what I found in doing that is that 95-ish, if not more percent of the time, we never won because of an idea. In fact, sometimes the idea was a liability. Like, wow, we really loved your approach, but we weren't really sold on your idea. And, and oftentimes it really was about process. It was about how are you going to work with us to come up with the idea? Mm. And it was kind of this light bulb moment of like, the close isn't the wrapped vehicle in the parking lot that you surprise them with at the end. It's, it's, it's never that. It's, wow, I really felt like Zach and Gina and Nathaniel, people from my current team right now, I just felt like they gelled together as a team and they worked really well with us. And that's why we got hired. So all the free stuff that we do and the investment, it still takes time, but we don't often for that reason go in with these fully baked strategies and here's all the things we're going to do and here's a here's a mock-up of the billboard that we would recommend. It really is just going in and connecting with those people, having conversations, feeling, asking them questions, feeling their pain, and not trying to be the smartest agency in the room with the flashiest stuff. So that's Beautiful. the question was, how do I define pitching? I'd say it's evolved. And today I define it as a great pitch is actually not a presentation. It's a conversation. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I think about uh, some sales training I got a number of years ago with an organization called Sandler Selling. And, and while the gentleman is uh, a New Jersey stereotype from the 1960s and, and some of the ways he approaches it and, and voices it. In fact, I'd be curious to take it again now. I've got to imagine some softening was required in the, the, the age we're living in now. Um, a lot of those same things, you know, ring true in terms of like, he, he talks about don't spill, spill your candy in the, in the waiting room. You know, instead of hitting them with all of these things you could do, it's more of a matter of like, what do you care about? How do we surface those things? How do we identify we hear them? And then how do we respond to those needs in ways that <clears throat> can, can you know, find a solution within the constraints of the scope timeline and the budget? Um, so a lot of that resonates with me 100%. Well, great. You know, the next topic that is tied to this pretty closely is, is the notion of RFPs. Um, as I mentioned previously, they do seem to be a requirement in a lot of organizations. I think about government organizations, larger organizations that, that have processes, procurement departments, they gotta get at least three responses, et cetera. I guess, what's your beef with RFPs? <laughs> well, can I, so am I allowed to use an expletive on this podcast? Are we, do we have a, a E rating. What's the rating? I can never remember. What's the rating for podcasts? You're, use you're use your uh, creative license. Yourself. 
Use my creative license. Okay. Yes. Well, I, I have taken to calling RFPs really that, you know, they stand for request for proposal. Yes. I have started calling them really fucking pointless <laughs> because here's, here's the thing about, here's the thing about RFPs. They are mostly pointless. I have never written a proposal responded to an RFP that hasn't just pretty quickly gone into the garbage. It, it oftentimes is this, I think clients don't know what else to do, but put out an RFP. But we, so I was just having a conversation with our team a couple of weeks ago. We've gotten a few RFPs, you know, lately. And here's the thing. If, if we don't have a relationship with that organization or a person there, if we didn't know that RFP was coming, by the time we get it, it is really fucking pointless for us to respond to it. Right. Yeah. Um, because you one, you're, you're just in a, a pack of many, you're reacting and your and agencies do this. We we all do this. I'm I'm guilty of it. Oh man, they're gonna love it when they see our stuff, right? But remember, just like I was saying, or to quote Gina Maffei, all agencies are kind of the same. Every one of those proposals is gonna have ninety five percent the same information. There's no way in a proposal for those things I was saying that matter most: chemistry, how you come across in the room, how you think, how you interact with them to sort of leap off the page. So what the reason I don't like them is I do think they're fairly pointless, but clients don't know what else to do. That's, that's, and it's a, with no disrespect to our clients out there who we of course love or prospective clients that may want to hire us. I think sometimes clients do RFPs because it's a lazy tool to force the work onto the agency. We don't really know what we want, but we're going to put some words on the page and we'll send it out there and see what they do. It's it's a lazy way of starting a conversation because what's the first thing we're going to do? We're going to say, we have a million questions that you don't really speak about. What's the real problem? Like, why do you want to do X, Y, and Z? Is that even your problem? So what we have started doing at Hubble, which has been very effective for us, is when we receive an RFP is to reach back out to them and say, hey, thank you for thinking of us. Thank you for sending this over. And, and we ask two questions. One, what made you think of, of Hubble? And my, my, uh, our founder Ward is, he thinks of this very differently. If they say, well, we just Googled, you know, PR firms, Portland, and your name came up. I'm like, then we're probably not, we're probably not seriously being considered here and, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't bother. Ward likes that stuff. And, you know, we, we showed up in search results. We should respond. However, so we ask, you know, how did you find out about us? And sometimes it's like, oh, we uh, heard your podcast or we saw, we, we met Gina at, a, at an event last week. That, that's more personal. Okay, now there's a reason you're actually thinking of our firm. But the second question we ask is, we would, we would prefer not to do a proposal. We'd rather have a meeting. And so can we just dispense with this proposal business? And it's amazing how many clients are like, oh, sure, absolutely. And that to me is the thing that a lot of agencies are afraid to ask. Yes. The, sometimes it is really just a product of, of going in and taking control of a situation where I think agencies are told they're not supposed to have control. So right. I'm a very big believer that when you receive something that doesn't make sense to you, that seems to use the RFP term really fucking pointless, that you know is probably not going to land you the business, but well, let's just do it and see what happens. 
take control of that situation and say, look, that's not how we do things. That's not the most productive use of our time or your time. Could we do this differently? Could we have a meeting or could we at least be able to come in and present to you kind of who we are, how we think so you can meet the team? I find most times clients are very amenable to doing that and willing to sort of, you know, break, break their own rules with the whole RFP business. I hope that I answered your question. Ben. No, absolutely. And, and what I would call that broadly is a pattern interrupt, right? They send out the RFP. They're expecting a very specific response, cadence and, and tenor. And you're basically saying, hey, what would you think about kind of throwing that out and just having a conversation, right? And then all of a sudden yeah. you get to build the bonding and rapport. You get to see if there's a good fit. You get to ask the questions. And I'm a big believer, to kind of to your point earlier, that it's not so much about what you say or or um, provide back, it's it's more about the kind of questions that you ask, right? And 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 the, those types of getting them to think a little bit differently and sharing yeah. that we've got a different perspective to offer here that could be really valuable. So no, I, I agree a hundred percent. I think so. Blair Ends, who is a really amazing agency consultant, he has a fantastic pod, podcast he does with David Baker called Two Bobs. Encourage any agency owner leader out there to listen to it. Um, but Blair talks a lot about this problem. And one of the things that I heard him say uh, at some point uh, that really stuck in my brain is that for every, I'm, I'm going to screw this up. So apologies, Blair, if I'm not explaining it correctly, but basically for every rule you get the client to break with their RFP, your chances of winning that business increase, right? So if you can start by saying, hey, we really would rather not do a proposal. We'd rather have a meeting. If they agree to that, your odds increase. If they then say, hey, could you put together a, a line item budget of what each individual thing is going to cost? And you say, we actually, we don't know. We don't know what our paid media budget would be. It's all going to be speculative. But what we could do is we could provide you with a scope of work that explains how we might be able to identify some of those costs. And if they agree to that, your odds increase. So every time you're in control of your own pitch process, of your own prospecting process, your odds of, of winning that business go up. And I think that's a great rule. I've, I've seen that. That's not just Blair, I think, um, offering an opinion. I think that is anecdotal. We've certainly seen it. I've certainly seen it. But you know, agencies are not, should not be subservient to clients. And I cannot tell you the number of people, Ben, who in, who in our business think that's how it works. You know? Yeah. Client's always right. Client comes first. No, you, we, we say partnership. A lot of people are like, oh, we, we're, we're your partner. Well, fucking act like it. I'm always amazed that the agencies that are like, well, we, we're partners with our clients. And I'm like, why don't you act like you are, right? Why is the answer to everything they want? Yes, it should be. Well, wait a minute. Help us understand why this is a problem, right? And those are just more interesting conversations. Yeah, and including that notion of, of valuing people's time. I can't tell you how many times people call me at 5.30 on a Friday and like, we got a problem. I need this by this time and I need you to do it. And it's like, I think you have a problem. <laughs> our partnership wasn't about, you know, you claiming our time whenever you want it on a weekend. Like we have, we are humans. We have lives. We have other responsibilities. And and that's just as a, a flashpoint, right? Where I've certainly had that that situation where people are hitting me up and it's like, I clear the decks the whole weekend. I need you. And I want to make sure, you know, at the onset, they understand we're not the best fit if that's the kind of partner you need. Because I don't feel like you're doing your work. 
you're just not doing your work and then putting it on us at a time where we're not being put in a position to be successful, whether it's over a weekend or just a very, a very short time frame. And, and I think that that's such a good point, Ben. I think that shows up a lot in the, the dreaded RFP process as well, right? They spend six months figuring out you know, what they want and then they put it into an RFP and then they give an agency two weeks to respond, right? And I mean, that's just not enough time. It never is because we're not sitting around with nothing to do. I mean, this we're in the we're in a time services business. You know, the margins on that time are are always stretched. So two weeks to respond to this thing that took you six months to figure out, and you know more about this than we do. And we get two weeks and you take six months. Um, and again, that's another thing that we often ask for. Hey, thank you for sending this over. If it's something legitimately that we're interested in, we try to move the date. You know, we would, this is perfect opportunity. We, we think we'd be really, you know, uh, a good fit for this, but we can't make your deadline. Can we move it out a week, two weeks, whatever it needs to be? Again, to quote Blair Ends, if they give on that, your odds have gone up, right? So always being in a situation where you take control and, and do it from a position, I think to your point, Ben, of like, we're not going to do our best work, right? We're not going to do our best work at 5.30 on a Friday or, or burning our team out over the weekend. So let's put ourselves, let's set ourselves up for success and do it in a way that is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. I like that. Yeah. I, I've also found very similar to what you're talking about where, um, you know, if I do get an RFP or if I'm talking to someone very early on and they're like, oh, we're, we're developing an RFP, oftentimes I'll offer to say, hey, would you be, would you benefit from someone to help you kind of frame up the RFP and 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 put, put it out to the market in a way that people will be able to get you the apples to apples comparisons that your, your evaluation team needs to make an informed decision. Uh, yeah. And, and that, that sometimes has worked to our benefit as well. We, so it's so funny you say that, Ben. We have a $2 million piece of business right now at Hubble that started because the client sent me the RFP and was like, can you help me explain what we're looking for? And I took a look at it and I was like, this makes no sense. You're not telling me anything other than like the history of your problem, which is part of the information someone would need. And just by coming, coming in and saying, let me, let me give you some guidance, mark the heck of this, mark the heck out of that RFP and send it back. And it showed them like, Oh wait, you actually understand what we need, which then led to my favorite thing, which is led to a meeting, which then led to the business. Oh, right. Beautiful. So beautiful. I, yeah. Anytime someone's like, Hey, would you take a look at this scope of work or RFP because we want to send it out, say yes. And then use that as your way to, to kind of walk through the door. Yeah. No, I love, I love that. That it's not a, you know, roll your eyes and sigh and say, here we go again. But instead here's an invitation to see how we can disrupt the, this process in a way that's productive for them and helps us get to a point where we can actually evaluate the fit. And of course, feeling empowered. It's a bit of a privilege and a luxury to feel empowered enough to walk away from that business. But uh, I think the more that we we flex that muscle and, and as uncomfortable as it can be, yeah. the better we set ourselves and our team and our, our entire organization up for success. I think along those lines, Ben, I think the most powerful thing that an agency can say to a client is no. And not enough of us say that word enough, right? We equivocate, we, we always feel the need to, you know, be apologetic, but 
when you're asked to do something that either doesn't make sense or quite simply is, I mean, you use the 530 on a Friday example is quite simply, you know, not possible by the laws of time and physics. The most powerful thing you can say is, I'm sorry, we can't do that and not offer the explanation and not offer the, you know, but here's all the things we will do. But just to say that it's just not something that we're equipped to handle and not enough agencies. Again, that's a, that's about taking control of the situation. And so much of this, I think this conversation about, you know, free pitches and, you know, spec, spec work and, you know, all that stuff gets to something we, we operate from a position of fear in this business, fear that we're not going to win the business, that our competition might win the business. Or what if like, I hear this from our founder a lot. What if they never call us again? The truth of the matter is, is that's probably not going to happen, right? It's this belief that like, oh my gosh, we have to, or, you know, the world's going to end. And I've been in this business long enough to know the world never ends, right? And there will be other opportunities. If it doesn't work out, then that probably is a good sign that it just, it wasn't a good fit. We, we have, here's the thing, here's the other thing I hope we get to in this conversation before we wrap up, which is how many people listening to this podcast or even the two of you have like won a piece of business and you're so excited and you're like, oh man, this is awesome. We want it. They picked us, you know, we're the best. We feel so good about ourselves, but you go back and you look at all the compromises you made to win it. And within six months, you're like, we cannot stand this client. We hate this work. It's you know, so I'm always like, why not get that over with early, right? If they're not willing to meet you in a place that's going to allow everybody to do your best work, that's your truest sign that they're just not going to be a good client. And we're so afraid that like, oh, but what if they're not going to hire us? What if they don't call us? Sometimes it's a blessing. Indeed. I've certainly seen that play out many, many times in the last couple of decades here at Cascade. And, and it is interesting because I know those feelings of desperation when it feels like the pipeline is empty and the workload is, is drying up and the team's looking at you. And as a business owner, you're thinking about year-end bonuses and, and retaining your team uh, with, with raises and other types of tools that require profit, not just revenue, but profit. And all of a sudden you start chipping away your profit potential to get the revenue. And then with that comes the more emotional damage around, and this is a terrible experience and my team's not enjoying it and, and. So yeah, I think, uh, again, feeling like you can show up, not feel like you need the business, steer it in a positive direction, have some of those tough conversations early. Those things will really, really help to set the table such that going forward, everyone does feel like, hey, we, we're equals. We are we are partners. This isn't a situation where I started from a position of fear and now I'm operating every day with this fear that if I screw up, there's six people behind me in that RFP line that are just chomping at the bit to grab that business yeah. and move it forward. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, good. Let's see. Do you uh, do you currently, I guess, on average, when you think about a year at, at Hubble, how many RFPs are you uh, disrupting the process by responding to in some form or another? Gosh, honestly, Ben, I couldn't tell you the last time we responded to an RFP without blowing up the process. Yeah, I don't I mean, and part of it is so we I'd say we probably get a couple of inquiries a month. You know, some are, some are squirrels, some are whales. 
Squirrels are like, you know, a hundred thousand dollar project or a fifty thousand dollar project, and a whale is, you know, you know, half a million more, right? Yeah. And I'd say in in pretty much and, and the other thing is I think for folks listening, remember it just because it's a five hundred thousand dollar, half million dollar piece of business doesn't mean you break your own rules and go, oh well, you know. In fact, if any, it's it's all the more reason to sort of follow some of these principles and sort of stick to sort of your your way of doing things. Take control of the process. But you know, we we probably get I don't know a dozen plus requests in some form. We always try to be disruptive with it and and ask for the meeting, not do the proposal. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the last time we truly did a quote unquote proposal. We we've had, it's weird. There's been this little, I'm sure you guys probably have experienced this. I've, I've talked to other agencies out there. They're all experiences experiencing this. I think Q1 of this year was just a particularly kind of slowish, quieter, not a lot of activity seemed to be happening, but now that sort of shifting, we we've gotten, I'd say a half dozen in the last couple months wow. uh, in various forms and and honestly we've said no to quite a few of them because we're like don't know the don't know the client don't know anybody on the inside budget's too small or they're asking for us to do something in a short period of time that we're just not willing to do there have been some where we've received the request we've reached out hey you know we we need to move the date sorry you're hitting us right as a vacation starting and we just can't meet this and they're like, sorry, it, the date's set. And we say, sorry, then we're not the agency for you. So, you know, I think in every instance we try to, we, we never, we never just, you know, do the like, yes. Okay. What do you want? What do you need? We never do that. Um, we just try to create this, the sort of process as we want it to exist. And you win, you win some of those, those are the, I think the good ones. And, and you don't get the rest, which is, which is fine. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned some criteria earlier about when, you know, the, the signs are lined up for it to be a, a, an RFP worth responding to. I think I heard uh, one tight relationship with a person on the inside. These are some of the things that we look at. If we've got a relationship with someone on the inside, that organization, that's, that's uh, okay, cool. Let's, let's, you know, keep talking. Uh, clear understanding of the selection process. I, I find that to be incredibly valuable. I've worked with some, some community organizations where the board are about uh, a number of community stakeholders, but in, in some cases they have no technology perspective. So you kind of wonder what what kind of criteria are they using to you know make this really important investment on behalf of of these these funds? Let's see, limited number of respondents to the RFP. I mean, I, I remember a cattle call with a, a, a large footwear company here in Portland. They got like hundreds of responses, and you're just like, that's terrible for the the footwear organization as well as all these people yeah. that are spending all this yeah. time pitching. Let's see, a well-written uh, um, evaluation criteria is included in there so that we have a good understanding and we can speak to that evaluation criteria. Um, the evaluation team, uh, knowing, the, uh, knowing who the evaluation team is made up of, what they care about, um, and that you know, hopefully they're not seeking a bunch of free work as part of that response. Did I leave anything out there in terms of, of criteria that your team cares about when they're, they're scrubbing them down? Yes. One very important thing I always ask, who is making the decision? 
the number of times that we are put in a room with six, seven, eight people and you know what they what they often have done it's sometimes it literally is a project team and that then it makes sense but i've been i've been in situations where it's like they took you know sally from marketing and then they took bob from public relations and and they took their government affairs person like we didn't know who else to come in and evaluate you so this is who this is who we chose and i always am like okay there's eight people in the room seven of them aren't making the decision. Yeah. Right. They have a voice in the process, but there has got to be one person making the decision. And the other thing I always push for is if they tell me, oh, well, Steve on the seventh floor, who's not in the meeting is the one that makes the decision. I'm like, that we need to be meeting with Steve. Amen. Yes, sir. Or, or yes, Sally sir. or whomever. Right. And I can't put, I can't tell you the number of times that you're meeting with the team that's almost just like they're being sent out to scout the Buffalo and, you know, the actual people that are going to, you know, do the kill don't even show up for the hunt. And it's like, well, I want to meet with the people that are actually going to be in the driver's seat of this. Otherwise it just doesn't make any sense. Right. Yeah. And I think a, a, a nuanced way of, of addressing that is uh, that I found it can be pretty helpful is instead of confronting that person who's, who's trying to show up and appear, you know, to have authority and, and drive this conversation that I say to them, hey, can I be helpful to you in taking this information to the person who's making this decision and, and flesh this out a little bit and ask some more questions and be in a position to field the questions that I can anticipate they're going to ask. And, and sometimes the, um, the person, you know, who who is not the decision maker looks at that and goes, oh, I'd be so relieved. I, I, I'm really not qualified to, you know, to present this and, and get those those questions back. So I don't know, something to something to think about there as a way to soften that that request to be taken to their leader. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and I think you mentioned evaluation criteria. I'm I'm often shocked at the number of requests, whether it's an RFP or, a, you know, can you put together you know, a, some sort of deck proposal, whatever it is, they're asking for all this work and all this information. And you say, okay, well, help me understand, like, how are you evaluating firms? And they don't have an answer. I'm like, then you don't need all this information, right? If, if you're just, if you're just going to go with like, oh, we really thought Ben was, we thought Ben was awesome. Well, then that's just, that's just dispense with the rest of this. You don't really need the rest of this information. And, you know, the one thing I will say that's a qualifier in all of this is I've had this conversation with many clients, prospective clients, and I've, I've said, look, you know, this, you know, your process of hiring us was just not great. I would, I would encourage you to make some changes. And I've had people say, you know, Zach, I hear you, but we have a corporate procurement department that just has forms that they're filling out and there's boxes they want checked and there's just stuff we got to have you do. And if, if that's the case, then fine. I'm, I'm willing to go through it because I understand that a, a big, you know, steering a ship that size is very difficult to do. Um, but at the same time, like really trying to understand what is the most important information for us to share. Because sometimes I've, I've been in situations where we've gone in the room and we've thought, oh, wow, this thing is what they really care about. And we, we talk about it over and over and over again. And then we don't get the business and you ask them afterwards, well, can you give us some feedback? And they're like, 
all you talked about was this thing and that's not really what we wanted. So like really understanding like what is the most important thing we can share with you and then build your presentation, build your, your meeting, your conversation around that. But we just oftentimes don't ask that question. We're like, oh, they said they really want to know about our team. So we're going to talk about our team. Um, we sometimes miss, miss the boat on that. Uh, I agree. That's helpful. Well, and I, I think uh, one thing that I think about here with, with Cascade is, you know, instead of trying to go out and, and find and claim this business, right, to, to be the one who's, you know, who's selected in this competitive process, I always think about what can we do as an organization to create gravitational pull and attraction toward us, right? How do we get more and more people to identify us and either view us as strong referral uh, opportunity for someone that they know, or you know, someone who's got a need to to look and say, "Gosh, I, I've I've got enough information, or there's enough content and, and information about this organization that I can put them forward aggressively." So, as you think about that notion of creating this gravitational attraction for Hubble, what are some of the tools that <clears throat> you think have been most effective, or or that other agencies ought to consider to? you know, to put yourself in a better position to win business without having to aggressively compete in and play some of these games that, you know, oftentimes these procurement departments are, are, are crafting for us. Yeah, I, I think any, I mean, so I think a lot of this has to do with, you know, the, the whole notion of positioning, right? You know, you want to be, you want to be the foremost person that people think of for a thing or a problem or a, an approach, a culture, whatever it is, you want to be as, you know, at the top of people's, you know, list instead of the, oh, well, we need to have five proposals. So somebody Google some other firms and we'll send it to, you know, for, for others. And I think that a lot of times there's, you know, there's a relentless need always, I think, to be out, you know, meeting people, I, you know, we're, we, we always wrestle with the word networking. And, you know, I, I always try to tell people it's called business development for a reason. The development part is, is really where the work is, right? We get sometimes so focused on like an RFP. It's this immediate, like in like a, like a drug injection, like, right? Oh man, there's this opportunity. Oh, let's go. Well, if you haven't done the development part, you're probably not well positioned to win that business. So what we try to do at Hubble is yes, we, we network. Yes, we do the, the circuits and the, you know, post COVID we're back to, I think the rubber chicken dinner stuff, you know, be out in the community. That's a big focus for us is we try not to call it networking. It's just be out in the community, right? Find an issue, find an organization that you're passionate about, be out there. That's a component of it. But the other thing we try to do in positioning ourselves is to show people the kind of firm we are so that they associate us as being that kind of firm. So you mentioned our podcast, the Better Communities Podcast. Thank you for the plug. I'm now going to plug it again. We very intentionally went out to do a podcast that was not about us. It was not about public relations or public affairs. It was not about marketing or creative. And it was not to pitch our services or, or sell Hubble, but it was to talk about the problems that we're oftentimes in the middle of facilitating uh, solutions to. So we just did one recently 
Yes, it was about, we used the I-5 bridge replacement, which is, you know, big topic right now. But really what it was about is why it can be so difficult when we all agree on a problem to come together and come up with a solution. Like that's a problem that's existed for, you know, two decades now, and we're still talking about it. Mm-hmm. Why, why is it so difficult for us, even when we agree to just make something happen? And what are some of the tips and tricks? So that's, that's us putting content out that sort of showcases the type of work we are often in the middle of. We did, we did want to on cancel culture on college campuses, right? Where's that line between, you know, free speech and open, you know, open discourse and the need to support, you know, historically marginalized communities and make students feel safe and all those things. Where's that line? That's a tension point. We, you know, we just, I think what we try to do is put out interesting content. One of the other things we did, we made a decision in 2020, you know, to think about, well, what, what are the things that we could be doing as a, as a company to lead from the front instead of doing what a lot of agencies do, which is try to follow along. Oh, we should, you know, my favorite thing is, oh, I saw somebody else's agency on Instagram, we should have an Instagram profile. No, right. If you, that is a terrible way to make, you know, decisions about how to promote or market your agency. But we, um, so it was the hundredth anniversary of the, so it was the centennial of the uh, women's suffrage movement that, you know, provided women access to the ballot in 1920, 2020 was the, was the hundred year anniversary of that. And we sort of looked at that and thought, wow, but, but truly that doesn't tell the whole story because 1920, not all women were given the right to vote. White women were given the right to vote. And here we are at this historic time. We, we made a decision to really zero in on this question of like, most people don't understand voting rights or the history of voting rights. So we launched this initiative called the 2120 initiative to just start conversations and to promote more people learning about and educating themselves about voting rights. What are they? What is what does voter suppression look like? What does voter disenfranchisement disenfranchisement look like? Um, and we kind of flipped the whole notion of the celebration of the 19th Amendment on its head. And we just said, but the fight never ends. Like to, to sort of think to ourselves, oh, well, women were given the right to vote. No, not all women were given the right to vote. And many still do not. They still do fight to have access to the ballot. But that just puts us in a different category, right? It doesn't put us with the like, here's the five best ways to, you know, build a coalition, right? There's tons of information on the internet about that. So it's not going to differentiate us. Or like, here's, you know, best crisis PR tips. I mean, you Google that on uh, any search engine, you're going to find a gazillion results that are all probably going to say the same thing. And ChatGPT's got you now. I was going to (laughs) say anything, anything you can do to say, what do we care about? What are the things that we're in the middle of? And how can we create content around that? I, I think is a winning strategy. It's, it's less transactional. It's less salesy. I think some agencies will find that, that that stuff works for them. Others may not, but I think it, what it does is it sort of, it elevates your, your agency and sort of the things you care about in a different way. And it's stickier, 
right? No, I mean, no. people remember, oh gosh, I saw you guys did that big thing on voting rights, right? Or I just heard the podcast on the I-5 bridge. They don't remember, oh, I saw your blog, blog post about the three things to include in a press release. They just don't, they don't remember that. So positioning, I think is the answer to your question. Long-winded answer to your question, Ben. No, really valuable. I mean, the business development and positioning, I think those are two great elements to kind of wrap things up with. I've been a big fan of that podcast and and some of that critical review and the interview style, those varying perspectives. It just feels like, gosh, I'm, I'm you're, you're, you're going deeper on these subjects. We're not just beating the drum and celebrating what we're told to celebrate through some sort of a filtered perspective, but peeling back some layers, asking some better, better questions and, and uh, you know, uh, steering that conversation forward. So, well, yeah. Zach, I, I'm grateful, you know, for our friendship and, and connection over the years. Uh, always look forward to our time together, sharing notes and, and really grateful for you joining us on this podcast. I think this is not only some fun stuff to chop up and, and uh, share with our audience, but also uh, some really compelling things for Simon and I to consider as we, as we carry this podcast forward and determine how do we want to show up and what do we feel is worthy of, of putting out there into uh, the ever more crowded podcast realm. So uh, I thank you for your time. I, I do encourage you to, to uh, jump back into vacation mode and uh, <laughs> look forward to, to staying in touch. Yeah, well, I, so I will say for the benefit of your listeners, Ben, that you were, you were my very first ever, I've done a couple, three podcasts in my, in my day in terms of hosting. And the first one I ever did, you were the first person that I ever interviewed and you were so, I was like, I've never done this before. I don't really know what I'm doing. You were very generous and very willing to put yourself out there and in the hands of a, of a complete amateur with no experience. And when you asked me to do this, I was like, you know, vacation be damned. Tell me, tell me where you need me to be. And um, always happy to, always happy to help you, my friend. Mad respect. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Well, Simon, thanks for joining us and uh, keeping this thing moving forward. And uh, we'll look forward to, to uh, connecting with everyone again on our next podcast. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for having me.